Good morning. Great to have you here. I hope that you have had a great morning, whatever it is that happened in your life that's brought you to this place in your day. One of the things I love about church is that it's really, if it's done right, like family. And if you're a guest here, we know that Northridge is a large church. It's not just this one service, but we have four services every weekend and goes far beyond that. Uh, But yet, we're still a family. We still care about each other and love each other. And what families do is they share both their sadness, of course, and their joys. Well, today, your morning might have been good, but ours was great because at 7.05 a.m., our daughter gave birth to our newest grandchild. So there wasn't a lot of sleep, but it's a great morning anyway. And uh, that, is, that is Auden Nicole Favaza, our second granddaughter, our fourth grandchild. It's an awesome experience. And the, one of the things, though, as we move into the discussion that we're in on plus minus, and if you're a guest, we're in a series called Plus Minus, is that as I look at all of our precious grandchildren, as I experienced the birth of Auden into uh, this world, I I realized that it won't all be what I wish it could be for her. I I mean, I would love that all of life for some of these precious children born into our lives, born around the world, could be as beautiful as that moment that they're introduced into our lives, but it's not. Because no matter how precious, no matter how wonderful, no matter how much we try and protect them, they're going to experience the reality, reality of negative and destructive consequences in their life. It's just a part of this journey. But the good news is that God has made it possible, though we will always in this human experience have the minus side realities, experience the destructive power of, of negative choices of others and of ourselves in our lives. God has made it possible for us to still experience a plus side life. We can still experience the the positive realities and the positive promise that he designed for us, even in the midst of all of the destructive realities. But in order to experience the plus side, we have to apply the solution that he brought into our lives. I mean, Jesus Christ isn't just a great story that's produced some good holidays for us. Jesus Christ is the solution for all of the destructive realities that we experience in this world. And we can still experience the plus side if we apply him. Now, if you haven't been a part of this series yet or you've missed some parts, remember at NorthridgeChurch.com, we give this stuff away. I mean, we want you to experience it and to spread it around. It's not just for those who gather inside four walls with a ceiling on it. And I really encourage you to catch up on it because in the last couple of weekends, we've been looking at the different aspects of Jesus Christ and the solution he brought us and how to apply it to our lives. If we're going to experience the plus side of life in a world of minuses, then we have to, we literally have to replace the nature we came wrapped up with, this destructive nature which allows darkness and shadows to own it. We need to replace it with the positive nature of Jesus Christ. I mean, he lived on this planet flawlessly, but then he died on the cross for our flaws, for our sins, and then he rose again so that he could implant in us a new nature, his nature, and we have to make the choice 
to receive his nature. And then, as we saw last weekend, we're going to continue to live in a world filled with minuses and negatives. We're going to have that inputted into our life constantly. And if it remains unchecked, it's going to turn us into angry, bitter, disappointed, despairing people. Because how can you live in such darkness without having that darkness influence you unless you counteract it? And we can. One of the ways to apply what Jesus has brought is we need to literally disable the world's influence in our life by saturating our life with the positive realities of his truth, which can set us free. And I really encourage you, if you didn't get last weekend's talk in, to get it in because it's important. But this weekend, we're turning to another application. If we're going to experience the plus side of life, we have to experience literally a metamorphosis in our attitudes We have to experience a transforming of our negative, destructive attitudes into the positive attitudes of Christ. And this isn't something we can do on our own. This isn't like we can come into a church environment or we can adopt a new religion or adopt a new language or adopt a new culture, adopt new music styles and and start reading the Bible a little bit and everything changes. No, we literally have to have and experience a transformation of our internal lens, our attitudes. And if we don't, we're never going to move anywhere. Now, just to show you how important it is to move from a negative attitude and what they are and what they look like to a positive attitude and what they are and what they look like, I thought it'd be good to take a different view into that world. I thought it'd be great to put a lens from a different angle on the whole issue of negative and positive attitudes, what they look like and why it's important that we redefine ourselves. And I thought that the best way to do it was by looking at the metaphor that we experience and learn from through cats and dogs. I mean, because it's all about cats and dogs, as we know. I mean, once you understand which side of this equation you're on, you can understand the whole issue of attitudes. And before I wade into this thing, because I know what it's like, it gets messy, I'm going to wade into this mess, you have strong opinions on this, and I'm going to win some friends and lose some others. I get that. But I just want to know the trouble I'm going to be in before I go into it. So I'm going to ask you to identify yourself up front, all right? How many of you are dog lovers? Okay, that's the vast majority of you. I get it. Now, how many of you are willing, I'm going to kind of self-identify here, how many of you are willing to actually go public in this moment and admit that you're cat lovers? Raise your hand. Yeah, you noticed how the cat lovers had to scream because there are so few of them, they had to make their presence known. It's like, uh, okay, at any rate. So the difference between dog lovers and cat lovers. Now, I have to tell you, I don't bring this issue up so that I can trash you cat lovers. But it is going to be one of the wonderful perks of bringing it up because I'll probably go after you pretty strongly. But the difference between dogs and cats is remarkable. And I believe we can learn a lot about ourselves when we see the difference. The the difference, this is how I see it. When you're a dog lover, when you have a dog, what you do is you, you feed the dog. You absolutely love the dog, show it all kinds of affection, whether it's rubbing behind its ears or getting in the belly and you know they're writhing around and you, you take it on a, on a walk. And that dog is so overjoyed, it's like you've made their entire life forever and you can kind of see it in their eyes after you've loved and fed and walked. Them. They look up at you and you, you just can see their, their mind uttering to themselves these words, he must be a god. 
I mean, to take care of me this way, I'm so undeserving. What have I ever done? And yet they feed me, they love me, and they take me for a walk. They must be a god. Now, a cat's a little bit different. A cat, for those of you cat lovers who have cats, you feed the cat just like, you know, dog lovers feed their dogs. And you, you love your cat. I get it. I mean, some of you even went public with that whole deal. And you, you basically care for the needs of the cat. And you can see in the cat's reaction, you can, as it sits there not paying you any attention, you can see it kind of staring off into the sky. After you've cared for it, loved it, done everything for it, you can see it kind of thinking, I must be a god. <laughs> now, isn't that the truth? Seriously, it's like, I mean, they, they really believe that, wow, the whole world's here to serve me. I must be a God. Now, when you look at the difference between a dog really believing that the one who cares for it is deserving of their love and their devotion, and a cat believing that they deserve the care and devotion, you see a lot about how we live. Because the same is true with us toward God. You see, when we have a negative attitude, and all of us along the way have, and all of us along the way do, our negative attitudes are simply a reflection of how we're seeing ourselves and God from within. Our negative attitudes are a reflection of an improper view of ourselves. Like the cat thinking they must be a God because we're serving them. We tend to think, wow, are we awesome. We have life and we have intelligence and we have giftings and we have capacities and we have the ability to think and to figure things out and wow, we must be a God. But that attitude of self-obsession, self-focus, where everything's wrapped around our world, our desires must be right because there are desires. Our pursuits must be right because there are pursuits. We must deserve what we want because, hey, we're us. Our negative attitudes are a reflection of an improper view of ourselves and an improper view of God. What happens is, along the way, we seek to be our own God and we seek to make God our servant. And it doesn't matter if you claim to be a Christian or not, a believer or not, a Christ follower or not, because even Christ followers do this a lot. If we would be honest and transparent about our relationship with God and how we pray, we'd have to acknowledge that most of our praying centers on getting God on our page getting him to do what we want him to do. Because along the way, somehow, we've become very cat-like in our view of the world. He's there to serve us. He's there to care for us. He's there to help us in pursuing our dreams. And that's where this negative, destructive attitude comes from. We're controlled by an inflated view of ourself and a diminished view of God. And this is the original temptation of mankind, by the way. You should read Genesis chapter 3 and the original temptation. God was caring for all the needs of, of those he created. All of them. And he gave them the great gift of free will and that, that gift was evidenced by one tree that they had no need of. That he said, don't partake. And the reason was they had a choice. It was a gift of choice, but they didn't need it. But then the evil one comes. And you know what the temptation was? Read Genesis 3, 5. The temptation was... God's holding out on you because you have the potential and the capacity to be your own God and he doesn't want you to be your own God. He wants you dependent on him. 
And in Genesis 3, 5, he says, when you eat, you will be like God. We literally have become messed up in our view of ourselves and our view of God. And we have started seeking to be our own God and making God our servant. And it's become a destructive force in our lives and our world. And we all have the problem. Now, on the other side of the coin is the whole concept of positive attitudes, which are more reflected by how dogs respond to their owners. A positive attitude is a reflection of a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of God. Because when we have positive attitudes, we're seeking him as God and we're grateful and privileged to be able to submit to and serve him. It's a whole different thing. We know we can't be like God. We don't even want to be like God. We just want to know him. We, we, we need to know him. We're controlled when we have positive attitudes by an appropriate view of ourselves and an appropriate view of God. So as weird as, as weird as it may sound, and if you're a guest here, I don't often compare us to animals, but as weird as it may sound, we have to decide whether we're going to live our lives toward God like a dog or a cat. And I bet you'll find you're more cat-like, even you dog lovers, than you'd care to admit. Now, as we go forward, here's the truth you need to see. We are all controlled by something. Every single one of us is controlled by something. Now, I know there are people who believe, no, I'm free. I, I, I follow my own drumbeat. I, I live my own life. I'm not controlled by anything. But you're wrong because every single one of us is controlled by something. Those who don't think we're controlled by something are the most controlled by something. In Romans chapter 6, the Bible talks to people who have made a transition in their life from not believing in God to believing in Him, from building their own kingdom to building God's kingdom to following their own pursuits to following God's will in their lives, those people who opened their life to Christ. And in Romans 6, Paul, who made this huge transition, is talking about what they were before and what they are after. In both cases, they're controlled, but the consequence is different. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 20 to 22. When you were slaves to sin before you came to Christ, when you were controlled by slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. When you were controlled by sin and destruction, you were free from the positive impact of right living, of goodness. And what benefit did being controlled by sin reap at the time? Because now you're ashamed of this stuff. Those things that you chose when you were controlled by sin, resulted in death. But now that you've been set free, now that you've turned to Christ and you've been set free from the control of sin, now you've become slaves to God, controlled by God. We're all controlled by something. And here's the difference. It's not that you're not controlled. It's what you're controlled by and what it leads to. When you were controlled by sin and selfishness and Satan, what happened was... It resulted in destruction, but now that you're controlled by God, you reap holiness, goodness in your life. The result is eternal life. We're all controlled by something. The question is, what are you controlled by? And don't you tear, take the easy route and say, well, I'm a Christian. Of course, I'm controlled by Christ. Bullarchy. It's not true. Just because you have made a decision in your past to follow Christ doesn't mean you're actually following him. Just because he's infilled you with his spirit and capacity to live a new life doesn't mean you're choosing to live that new life. 
This is something we have to apply and choose on a daily basis. We're all controlled by something. And Christians and non-Christians alike can be controlled by their own selfish nature unless they make a choice for something different. And let me declare it. Those on the minus side of life are controlled by the force that leads to destructive realities in this world. Sin, Satan, and self. Earlier in this series, I talked about the three negative sources in this world. Sin, Satan, and self. And those living on the minus side, controlled by it, are controlled by those three things. And here's what it produces. A focus on self. Where we build our kingdom. Where we pursue our pleasures. Where we pursue our wants and desires. Greed and anger. And all of that controls us. But those on the plus side are very different. Rather than being controlled by what naturally controls us, selfishness and ego and pride like the cat, those who are on the plus side are controlled by God's spirit. They're focused on God, not self. They're focused on building his kingdom, not their own kingdom. They're focused on his pleasure, his goodness, his will, his love. This is a big deal. And so we're all controlled by something. The question is, what are we controlled by? And the answer is, what side of life are you living on? I didn't say, are you experiencing all positive things or all negative things? Because all people will experience some positive things and some negative things. The question is, on the inside, are you experiencing the minus side of life where it's darkness and despair and disappointment and disillusionment? Or are you experiencing the plus side, even in the midst of the chaos? The difference is, are you controlled by self or God's spirit? And here's the reality. We're all controlled by something, but most of us choose the wrong something. Most of us choose the wrong something to be controlled by. First John 5.19 says it. It's talking to the, to the small group of people who actually were living out life as children of God. And it says, we know that we, though it's a small group of people, we are children of God. But the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And the truth is, We can be controlled by the evil one. Even those of us who have put faith in Christ, we can be controlled by selfishness and ego and pride. We can live like the cat. Even though we're self-proclaimed Christ followers, if we're not making the right choice about who's going to control us today, we're all controlled by something. Most of us choose the wrong something. What are you choosing? Are you experiencing the minus side or the plus side? Now, the application that I want to give you and then build principles for us to start weaving into the fabric of our lives is this. If we're going to live on the plus side of life, if we're going to experience the transformation of our internal attitudes from negative to positive, it requires daily, and you might want to circle that word daily, it requires daily choosing to submit ourselves to the Spirit's control. If I'm going to experience the life and fullness that God has made possible for me to experience, that Jesus has brought me. It's not about, well, I attend church once in a while, I read the Bible once in a while, I sing good songs once in a while, and I say good words once in a while. It's not about I don't do these things and I do these things. If we're going to experience the transformation that comes from the minus side to the plus side, then we have to, on a daily basis, it's not enough to have done it yesterday or 10 years ago, on a daily basis we need to choose to submit control of our life to the Spirit's control. And if we don't, we won't experience life. This answers a question for me because so many days I'm not experiencing inside what I know God created for me to experience. So many days on the inside, I'm not experiencing the light that he promised and the love that he promised. 
And the reason is because that day, that moment, I'm not choosing to submit control of my life to his spirit. I'm claiming control of my life for myself. And the same is true with you. This explains why one day I can be riding high in my, my life of faith, and the next day I can be crashing against the rocks of destructive reality inside. And it's because that day I'm not choosing to submit control of my life to his spirit. I'm reclaiming control. You're going to see this in your life. If, if you really are alive and aware and awake and honest, and I think maybe three, four of you might be this morning, if you're really alive and awake and honest and aware, you'll go, that's me. And I have some days where I'm all in, and then I have some days where I'm all out. But on the days we're all out, we make a choice not to submit control to his life. We experience the mess that comes with that. And then you know what we do? We blame God for the mess when it's not God's problem. We wonder where he was, where he is. Well, he's right there where he always was and he always will be. The problem is we decided we wanted what we wanted. Who cares what he wants? And we started building our own kingdom, focusing on ourselves. We started being controlled by the wrong thing. And as a result, we started experiencing the wrong thing. And I bet you this explains a lot in your life. I believe right now many of you are on the verge, if not in the middle, of all kinds of junk. And it's because you decided you were going to take control of your life because you knew better than God. You knew better than anyone. And you're in a mess. Good news. Your failure doesn't have to be final. But the bad news is, you have to give up control. You have to give up control. We're all controlled by something. Most of us choose the wrong something. Let's make a different choice so we can start living the life that God has for us. Submit to, on a daily basis, the Spirit's control. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 6. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. All the selfish junk. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death and destruction, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. You need to make the decision. What do you want? The same destructive junk or life and peace? It boils down to a choice. Who's going to control me? Now, if we're going to daily choose to submit to the Spirit's control, and that's rough because I'm personally a one decision guy. You know, it's like, I want to make a decision and I'm done with it. I don't like to keep treading it. But this whole thing about following Jesus is a daily decision, sometimes minute by minute, second by second decision, where I'm having to say, you keep control, you keep control. Because every day, every moment, I'm confronted by new situations where I want to take it. So what does it look like? How do we on a daily basis get ourselves to where we keep submitting to control so we can experience life and peace instead of destruction? So we can live on the plus side. Here's the first thing. We have to recognize our need for his control. We have to recognize our need. You know if you never got hunger pains, you'd never eat, and then you know what would happen? You'd die. You see how brilliant I am? It's unbelievable. But it's the recognition of need for food that drives you to eat the food. You survive. If we're going to daily submit control of our life to the Spirit so we can have life and peace and everything God's authored for us in a positive way, we have to recognize our need. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. It illustrates the need. The sinful mind, which is what naturally drives all of us in our attitudes, is hostile has a negative attitude towards God. It's the cat saying, I must be a God. But it does not submit to God's law. 
In fact, it can't submit to God's law because those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Those controlled by the sinful nature are those who are controlled by selfish desires. They can't please God. It's impossible. We need the Spirit of God to control us because apart from that, we can't please Him. We can't know life. Great example of this, I believe, is found in the reality of Paul the Apostle. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. And the reason it's one of my famous is because I see myself and my needs so greatly in it. Romans 7 and 8. I really encourage you, read those two chapters this week. Now, as you can see, hope always springs eternal with me. I keep suggesting that you go out and read chapters of Scripture and different things each week. And I know none of you are doing it, but hope springs eternal. Someday, one of you might actually do this. I don't know. But Romans chapter 7 This is the Apostle Paul. If you don't know much about the Bible, this is the guy who ultimately wrote a lot of the New Testament. He became a transforming influence in the world for the cause of Christ. But he he wasn't by nature like a wonderful, sweet, loving guy. He he persecuted those who followed Christ for a time, and he was a high, intense guy. And in Romans chapter 7, we find this apostle really facing some messed up times. He says, man, I want to do the right thing but I don't do it and I don't want to do the wrong things but I keep doing them and I can't fix it I can't get overcome it and then at the end of Romans 7 he literally I'm doing this figuratively he may have done it really he doesn't say but he like threw his arms up and he said oh wretched man that I am who's going to deliver me from this messed up reality of mine he's just given up And, and then right at the end of Romans 7 after he throws his hands up and says I'm a mess he remembers, oh, Jesus has already delivered me. And then in Romans 8, all of a sudden, it's filled with a word you don't find in Romans 7, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. I mean, it's like 20-some times. And it's about yielding to the Spirit and all that. And the difference between Romans 7 and Romans 8, the consequence, the consequence of Romans 7, a wretched man that I am, I'm a big failure. I'm ashamed of my life. I don't, you know, I'm not doing anything right. You know what the consequence of Romans 8 was? There is no condemnation. No shame in those who have Christ Jesus. And it ends by him saying, we are more than conquerors. Isn't it weird? Romans 7 ends, O wretched man that I am. And Romans 8 ends, we are more than conquerors. What was the difference? In Romans 7, look at the personal pronouns. You'll find dozens and dozens of times he's saying, I, me, my. I, me, my. His focus was on self. His control was by self. But then when he realizes what he was doing in Romans 8, his focus is on the Spirit of God and he's yielding and submitting to the Spirit of God. When I control my life, it's a wretched man that I am. When he controls my life, it's I'm a more than a conqueror through Jesus who loved me. So can I ask you a question? Which chapter represents your life right now? You've got to recognize your need. You go, oh, wretched man or woman that I am. Well, okay, Join the human race. We're all like that. But you don't have to stay there. Recognize that that indicates the need you have for him to control you and start making the choice to let him. And and then once you recognize your need, then you have to get to the place where you're actually willing to remove the obstacles to his control. Remove all the obstacles. You say, what's the obstacle? The great obstacle to God controlling my life is me. The great obstacle to God controlling your life is is you. We have to remove the obstacle. Look at how Ephesians 4.30 says it. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Would you stop living a self-centered life when you're supposed to live a God-centered life? Because you're hindering the Spirit 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's in you, but you're blocking his power. He's in you, but you're, you're saying no to him. The I, me, and my areas of my life, the areas where I'm attempting to be my own God and make him my servant, keep the Holy Spirit from activating life and peace in me. And the same is true with you. This is huge. But here's the good news. The good news is we've all failed here. Most of us are probably failing here right now. But you know what the Bible says to believers? This isn't to those who have yet to come to Christ, though it can be true of them. This is to believers. Do you, do you know what the Bible says to believers? If we confess, 1 John 1, 9, our sins. This isn't right now a message to those who don't believe. This is a message to those who believe. If we confess our sins, our sin of reclaiming our kingdom, reclaiming our desires, reclaiming our motivations, instead of surrendering to his, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins and to purify us from all this unrighteousness. In other words, if we confess that we've been controlling our own life and that's why we're so messed up, he'll make it possible for him to control our life again. We've got to remove all the obstacles. What are the obstacles between you and the Holy Spirit's control? I'm going to tell you, they all start with a personal pronoun, I, me, or my. You've got to get rid of it. If we're going to ultimately daily choose to submit to the Spirit's control, we have to request by faith his control. We have to make the request. The Spirit of God, if you've already put faith in Christ, you've opened your life to him, the Spirit of God's in you, but the Spirit of God is not going to control you until you willingly request it. Why? Because God's given us that free choice. And we're supposed to use the choice to make good choice instead of bad ones, but we generally don't because our focus is bad. And we need to get to where we utter with our mouth, with our heart, by faith, our request for his control. Look at Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, this is Jesus talking, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's there. He's available. If you're a believer, he's in you. If you're not a believer... He will be in you when you open your life to Christ. But what we have to do is we have to ask him to take over. And God will give him to us in controlling power. great example of this is in Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 31 of Acts chapter 4. They were facing persecution. And they were literally having their lives threatened. But they prayed for boldness. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And what happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. You see, what their personal desire would have been would be to run, to get out of the way of trouble. What their personal desire would have been was to ask God to wipe those people out. But what they asked for was, God, if this is where you want us and this is what you want us to experience, give us boldness because we don't have it on our own. And God gave them the Holy Spirit, filled them with the Holy Spirit. And they became bold. We need to request by faith his control. When was the last time you asked God, control my life, control my attitudes, control my thoughts, control my heart, control my desires, control me? When was the last time? I bet you for most of us it was a long time ago, if ever. If we're going to daily, truly submit to the Spirit's control so we can experience life and peace, the plus side of life instead of the minus side, then once we request by faith His control, we have to relinquish our control to His control. We literally have to relinquish our control to His control. I I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to sometimes utter words and then take them back immediately. 
I do, I don't. I will, I won't. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I'm, like the, I'm like a relay runner who's not very good at relay running. You know, you know, relay runners, they, they pass the baton. They have their leg, and they realize, okay, it's time for someone else. They pass the baton. Well, I'm a person that I get to the place where, you know, I know I have to pass the baton to God, and so I say, God, I'm requesting your control. But then I hold on it, and I run beside him just to make sure he does it my way. I don't relinquish control. I try to use the baton once I put it in his hand as a leash to get him moving in the right direction for me. And you do the same thing. We need to let go of the baton, relinquish our control to his control. Look at Romans 6.13. He's saying, would you just let go? Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness anymore. Come on. Let go. Then he says, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Relinquish your control to his control. Offer yourself to him and let go. The great example of this, I think, is Jesus in the garden just before he goes to the cross. This example helps me so much because in his humanity, he came to the moment that was his purpose for being on the planet. And he said, you know, I, I don't want to do it. If there's anything you can do to take this cup from me, I mean, take it from me. I don't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. Well, who would take all the darkness of my life and your life on himself? Are you kidding me? Who would want to suffer like he suffered and go where he had to go and be hung where he had to be hung? He said, I don't want to do it. But then he said this. But nevertheless, not what I want. It's what you want. I'm not here to build my kingdom. I'm here to build your kingdom. I'm not here to get you serving me, God. I'm here to serve you, Father. When I relinquish control, I have to come to the place not where I deny the reality of what I want. I think God wants me to be honest about the reality of what I want. God, I don't want to hurt here. I don't want to experience this loss here. I don't want this defeat here. I don't want my granddaughter to experience the junk that this world has to offer. I don't want. But ultimately then, I have to say, but I'm relinquishing control. It's your kingdom, not mine. It's your will, not mine. It's your way, not my way. Have you come to the place, when was the last time you came to the place where you relinquished control? Where you said, in spite of what I want, I'm going to live for what you want. It changes life. And finally, if I'm going to truly, on a daily basis, in the right way, submit to the Spirit's control, I have to rely entirely on Him for control. I can't rely on myself, which I'm so want to do. I'm so used to trying to do. Even though relying on myself always gets me in trouble, I still want to do it. But I have to get to the place where I rely entirely on Him for control, where I give Him all the control. This is where I acknowledge I just can't, God. I can't love the way you want me to love. I can't forgive the way you want me to forgive. I can't overcome the temptations you want me to overcome. I can't care about the things you want me to care about. I can't. But you can, and I'm asking you to do it through me. We rely entirely on him for control. Uh, This is what Galatians 5.16 is all about. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You know, the problem with our lives is that we're not living by the Spirit. Now, in a moment, we're going to move into worship. And 
we believe that the talk this weekend was a perfect recipe to move us into a place for worship. And that's what we're going to do. But before we do that, I think it's important that we apply the talk with two questions. Here's the first question. Do you have God's Spirit? Because having been on the outside looking in in my past, even though I was a religious Christian, um, I know there are a lot of people listening to this talk right now, whether you're here in Plymouth or at Northridge Brighton Howell or Northridge Ann Arbor or Church Online or wherever you're watching this thing, there are a lot of people who are going, this whole Spirit of God thing, it's just I don't get it. It's like abstract, Spirit of God, what, what is that? Well, let me just tell you, if, if you're in the place where the whole Spirit of God thing doesn't make sense to you, you don't get it, you don't understand, you don't know anything about it, then you might want to answer the question, do you have God's Spirit with an honest answer? No. And if you don't have God's Spirit, you don't have no understanding of God's Spirit, no sense of God's Spirit in your life and all that different stuff, it simply means you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ because the minute you open your life by faith to Jesus Christ, now, not when you become a religious Christian, not when you get baptized into religion, not when you take communion as a religious person, not when you attend church as a religious, not, not any of that, but when you truly open your life by faith to Jesus Christ to change your nature. The Spirit of God resides in you. Look at how Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says it. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If you've already come to faith in Christ, you don't have to ask God for the Spirit. He's been given. All there is of the Spirit has been given to you the minute you open your life to Christ. The question is, and what we have to ask for, is whether or not He has all of us. God, please help me to open myself up to all there is of the Spirit. That's what believers ask. But there are some here who've never opened their lives to Christ, and so the Spirit of God's nowhere in your life. The good news is, all you have to do is ask Him. So before I ask this last question and before we move into worship, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make this invitation. And I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer. Wherever you're at listening to this talk, if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer. And if you're a believer already, I imagine I've touched on some issues that you could spend time talking to God with right now, talking about with God. But if you're here and you've never opened your life to Christ, you don't have the Spirit in you, pray with me. Take the step now. Make my words yours. Just say, God, inside I am messed up. Living as if I'm the God and if you exist, you're my servant. I've sinned against you and I need you. And so I'm now putting my trust, Jesus, in what you did when you died on the cross. You died for my sin. By faith, I'm asking you to forgive me. And then you rose again. And by faith, I'm asking you for the new life that comes with that. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed with me quickly before I ask the next question, I just want to encourage you, let us know. Seriously, let us know. Don't be so proud to say, no, I'm going to hide it. Let us know because we've put together a letter about next steps that you can take to build your relationship with God and we'd love to get it to you. In the program, if you're in one of our live services, is this connection card. You just rip it out. It's an easy, perforated thing to take out. 
place to put your name and address so we can get it to you. And then you check that circle on the bottom that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus in my life. And if you did, let us know and we'll send you that information. Right outside all of our auditorium exit doors in all of our campuses are boxes you can throw that in and we'll send you a letter about next steps with God. If you're watching online, we're so thankful that you're a part of that, but hit the what next button right there on your screen and we'll do the same thing for you. Now here's the second question. The second question is, if you have God's spirit, are you experiencing the fruit of God's spirit? Now by that, I'm saying, are you showing signs that he's in control? Are you giving off the evidences that he's truly the one controlling your life? This is the result. The fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit's in control, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me just ask a simple question. Is that a pretty good description of you? Like if I was to come and interview those you live with, if you're married, your spouse, if you're parent, your kids, roommates, whoever you, if I was to come interview the people who live with you, would they say, oh my gosh, that's them. <laughs> Love, yep, joy, peace, patience, kind, yep, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, self-control. Wow, that's them. If I was to come to your workplace, would they go, Them? Them, them, them. That's my boss. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Those are my employees. I bet you not. And this isn't an indictment because it's also not going to be the definition those who live closest to me say I always have. But let me just tell you, if those aren't the defining characteristics of your life, it means that you're controlling you and that he's not controlling you which is where most of us live most of our life, which is why most of us don't experience the life and fullness that he came to give us. But it can change if we recognize our need and we'll literally invite him to control our life. Why don't you do it? Make your choice. Make your choice. Are you going to live your life toward God like a cat or a dog? Make your choice. Are you going to live your life as if you're the God and he's supposed to be your servant? Or are you going to live your life as if, as is true, he's God? And it is your unbelievable privilege to serve him. Make your choice because the choice is yours. We blame God when our life goes haywire it's not God's fault. It's our fault because we've decided in spite of the fact that when he controls our life, we experience life to the full. Even in the midst of all the garbage and chaos and negatives that we'll experience, we've chosen to rule our own life. And when we do, we get the mess we get. Choose well. Live well. Let him control. And you'll never regret it. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to move into a season of worship. And how we're going to start it is by receiving an offering. And for those of you who are guests here at Northridge, we want you to know when we pass these baskets and receive this offering, it's not to get anything from you. In fact, we would ask you just to let it pass you by if you're one of our guests. and Let this service be our gift to you. We give 
those of us who make Northridge our home as a form of worship, not out of guilt, not out of duty, but as worship, because everything we have comes from him, everything. And we don't want to love what he's given more than we love the one who's given it, and so we worship him, and then we use what we give to make a difference in lives here and around the world. So I'm going to ask you as we receive this offering if you'd stand, and we're going to pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for each one who's here. And every single one of us has this choice on a daily basis. Are we going to control our lives as comes naturally? Or are we going to let you control our lives, which takes us where we really want to go? Let us, each and every one of us, choose you today and tomorrow and forever. Take now our gifts as worship and use them to transform lives here and around the world and we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. After the basket goes through your row, be seated and we're going to move into worship.